Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we are so grateful uh, for your word. Lord, we know that you've given us your word to explain to us, to declare to us the wonderful message of Christ. And Father, as those of us who have received that message, who believe in Christ, we also know, Lord, that the Bible does even more than that. The, 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 The Bible reveals to us your will for our life. It gives to us great understanding of the world in which we live in, an understanding of, of mankind, of, of history. It helps us to better understand ourselves, to understand ourselves spiritually, to understand ourselves even psychologically. It gives to us uh, instruction as to, and, and wisdom as to how to raise our children and, and how to work and, and why we do all these things. And so, Father, we ask, as we always do, that, that you'll bless our time in your word, We ask, Father, for your blessing because we need your help, Uh, again, to focus on what your word says, to to even want to desire to be challenged and changed by your word. And so, Father, we ask that our approach to your word would always be proper and that we would have a great hunger for your word, a, a desire to understand what it says as well as to apply it to our lives. And so, Lord, with this, we ask for your help. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So 2 Corinthians 4, once again, beginning in verse 6, Paul writes, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So I'm not going to review all the things we covered last week in in the passage so far that Paul has been talking about. But again, remember that we are, in essence, what Paul is doing is kind of of resetting uh, the stage for us, resetting and reminding us as to what our attitudes should be, what our understanding should be when it comes to living life, how we approach life, what we think about life, and in particular, what it is we are thinking about when it comes to our suffering, so that we, we can grasp how we are to respond to that. Because we don't always respond really as well as as we ought to. He says in verse 10 that we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Now I do believe that for a very large majority of Christians in this country, this is a very foreign sounding verse to us. Now it's not really because of a bad thing, we, again, and we've mentioned this several times, and many of us know this is true, we have been very blessed. We live in a country that is, it really is very wealthy. Just an incredible number of things that are available to us that still many people in the world just don't have access or maybe the ease of access to. But also along the way with that, we also experience really very little persecution because we're Christians. We may experience from time to time individuals who may not really prefer our company because we're Christians. 
some of the individuals may, may uh, speak out against us because maybe certain opinions that we hold as we try to ensure that our opinions are based on what the Word of God says. And so that kind of makes us unpopular. There's been a few hints of things here and there where uh, maybe our, our government or maybe at least our culture is kind of leaning in the direction where there, it's more of an accepted thing to speak despairingly of believers and of our faith. And we've seen that. So we're not really suffering a lot. We don't like it. And some have suffered a little bit as a result of that. But what most Christians have experienced throughout history and what most Christians experience in other countries, this verse makes all the sense in the world. For us, we don't really think about that we are carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus. And so we need to make sure that we are looking at this uh, maybe even more stringently, more carefully than maybe we normally would because this is kind of a foreign experience. Now, this is, we're not saying all this so we can suddenly begin to feel this heavy burden like we're all suffering greatly. That's, that's not what the deal is. However, it is important, I believe, so important, when it comes to the way we live our lives as Christians, especially how we respond to life, to what I would call all the normal aspects of life. I mean, I do believe that people being upset by our opinion, that's the normal fact of life. Because there's people who aren't believers and people hate what they say and think. So it's not necessarily a new thing or some kind of a, something that's, that's just so unique that we are the only class of people that ever experience that. So it's not really unusual in that sense. I believe that it will grow in its intensity. I don't know if it's going to be, I think it'll be in my lifetime. To what degree, I don't know. But we do need to be prepared for that. That's just the norm. And the reason why I say that is you would be surprised how many individuals who call themselves Christians, they're not going to put up with that. And what I mean by that is they're going to bow out. You know, they're, suddenly they're not really all that interested in church anymore. They're becoming more put at ease by not really being around believers or being reminded of, of that we are Christians and how we are to live and act. They're, they're in a sense, uh, maybe appeasing their conscience to one degree or another by, by not really looking at the Bible, yet still maybe proclaiming, in a sense, that they're believers. But, but they're going to they're gonna bow out um, of, of the Christian thing, so to speak, uh, as, this, as this kind of persecution and maybe affliction that we suffer. Uh, increases. I don't want that to happen to any of us. This is, you know, I want all of us to be strong in our faith. Genuine faith, absolutely. Because sometimes it is true that those who bow out, it does reveal that their faith really wasn't genuine. I'm not saying that's true for everybody. I'm not running around judging people and trying to, you know, put the microscope on their life to figure out if they're really a believer or not. I just know that that's a distinct possibility. And so, and we need to recognize it. And that's why I do believe the Bible at times, it does tell us to make sure that we know the Lord and to make sure that our faith is genuine uh, because there will be certain things that will come along that will reveal uh, where we are. So when, when Paul writes what he writes here, when he says, always caring in the body the death of Jesus, his point for himself is that he was continually, at all times, in all places, he was exposed to people and circumstances that sought to bring him harm to the same degree as those who were the enemies of the cross and sought to kill Jesus. 
That's, that, for Paul, this was just completely normal. Remember that, that his own brethren, his own ethnicity, his, his own race of people, the Jews, those who were not believing in Christ as the Messiah, they hated him. Remember, he was a rabbi. This man, has, he's, he is guilty of treason against his race, against his people. Remember that there's been a few times when you read through Acts where you know, there were groups of men who would take a vow to not eat until he was dead. Or they wouldn't eat or drink until he was dead. I don't know about you, but if you were to discover that tomorrow night there's a meeting of men who have decided that they're not going to take another bite of food until you are dead, that's going to have an impact on your life. That's, that's more than just disturbing. You know, that's the kind where you don't go to sleep that night. You might sleep with a weapon under your pillow if you do sleep. I mean, that's just kind of like, this, that just takes it to a whole new level. Because that level of commitment um, signifies the intensity of the hatred and dislike that people would have for you. That, that's hard to fathom because we just don't experience that. We just don't experience that. In a true sense, Paul was acknowledging that what was happening in his life was a fulfillment of prophecy. Remember that the Lord, speaking to Ananias, foretold about Paul, I will show him now much he, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That's in Acts 9, if you want to look at it. So it, that, that, you know, that was declared by the Lord, that, that that was going to be Paul's life. And Paul understood that. Let me read verse 10 to you from the Amplified Version. As you know, that's... A version, it's a paraphrase, actually. But I like it a great deal, um, even though we always have to be careful with any paraphrase that we use. But it reads this way. Always caring about in the body the liability and exposure to the same putting to death that the Lord Jesus suffered, so that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be shown forth by and in our bodies. This is really a very powerful verse because the emphasis is not only on what you and I are facing. It's not only what we might be exposed to. He tells us why this is going to happen. Homer Kent, in his commentary, says this. Paul could look beyond the trials to the grander purpose that was being served. God's suffering servants not only showed their identification with Christ by their willingness to suffer as he did, but they also displayed his life in their bodies. Christ living in them and enable them not to be crushed or despairing, feel forsaken or be destroyed. They ran the risk of death in order to proclaim the new life in Christ. So I believe what he touches on here, and if we kind of think about what verse 10 is speaking about, and think about how we function as human beings, we need to kind of keep this in mind. So it's not only that we should have, I guess you would say, the attitude or maybe the intellectual stance, Oh, yes, I'm willing to suffer. But in the way that we live that out before others, as many of you are aware, when it comes to the emotions that we have as people, we all have emotions, that many times our, our bodies can express our emotions. As you know, if you were watching Georgia football and you were a Georgia fan, your body was expressing your great joy, you know, you're the glee as you know, them winning the national championship. So, but also, our bodies experience the result of our emotions. You know, an individual may not be applauding and clapping, but there's an extra burst of energy. There's an excitement. There's just a happiness that's there 
as a result of that. So there's this, this very intimate connection. So what I think he's getting at, which is important then, it's not just that I'm, I'm begrudgingly willing to suffer, but that, that I'm not expressing in my body despondency. I'm not, I'm not expressing depression or anxiety. I am, I'm living life and facing life because I have absolute trust in Christ. I'm not living in fear. I'll never forget this experience I had. The Kroger down the street here, there was a, a long period of time where to go into the store and shop, you had to wear a mask. So I would have a mask and, and I would, uh, as I approached the store, I would grab a buggy and then just before I walked in, I would, I would put it on. And so I remember one day I was, I was walking to go get a buggy and there was an older lady there while she was, well, you know, it's so funny, I say older, she's probably my age. But anyway, there was this lady that was there and as I approached, you know, I, I have the mask, I just don't have it on yet. And I'm walking to where the buggies are and she's over there. And I just kind of look at her just to say hello, you know, say hi, to be nice, I'm not here to kill anybody. And all of a sudden she just plastered herself against the wall, it was just, just like that. And then she, and I went to get a buggy and then, so I stayed away from her and then she, I didn't strike her as someone who was just having fun. <laughs> I think she was serious. I really, I felt bad for her. You know, I, I mean, I didn't go, boo, I didn't do any of that. That just would have been cruel <laughs> to do that, you know, to the individual. But the thing is, so you see her entire body was expressing really maybe fear or apprehension that, that she was experiencing at that moment for whatever the reason. So, so we need to recognize then this, that when it then comes to living this life that God wants us to live, that our bodies, facial expressions, body language, all of that is involved in living out our faith. Yes, it's a proper attitude and thinking correctly, but we need to be in emotionally. You know, these truths need to have an effect on the heart and mind. And so so that's, that's exactly what it means. We, remember, I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who said of all the people in the world, we should be the happiest. Now, he didn't say we should be running around with a crazy grin on our face. Right? He was Welsh. I don't know how many times he actually grinned. But the idea was is that, that, that we live our lives in such a way that, that we, are, we are unaffected because we know the truth, because we know the Savior, and because of the relationship we have with him. One of the things that's important about this, this again, this last phrase where he says, so that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be shown forth by and in our bodies. As Christ has brought life to others through his sufferings and death, here Paul's suffering was a means of causing spiritual life to be at work in others. That's really the idea, which is really a powerful thing, which again is something that you and I are not going to accomplish on our own. That's a result of the Spirit of God working in us and working through us. Turn your Bibles to Colossians 1 for just a moment. Colossians chapter 1. I'll read verses 24 through 26. Paul is talking on the same subject, sufferings. And uh, just so that you know, this, the sufferings that Paul speaks about, I believe here and also what we have here in uh, 2 Corinthians it's, it's all kinds of sufferings, and it does include 
suffering for Christ. It's not necessarily overt persecution, though that's not excluded, but I don't think that it's only overt persecution. There's a lot of different kinds of sufferings, and sometimes there's sufferings that you and I may not really even look at as being sufferings uh, that we experience because we're Christians. You know, there's, there's things we're just not going to do. There's, there's uh, decisions we're going to make or not going to make because we're Christians. And, and sometimes those decisions will bring some stress or distress to your life just because of how others may respond or maybe the dynamics within your family, you know, that kind of thing. So there's even small things that you and I can experience as Christians that no one else has to experience. You know, you may be going to a family reunion where maybe most of the individuals there, or maybe there's a few, who you know just they don't like your religion and they don't like that you talk about it. And it bothers them to the point that maybe it even bothers them when you're smiling. You know, it's not that they want you to be sad, but it just it bothers them. And that does bring a certain amount of, you know, stress on your life. It's not necessarily bad, but it is something you got to put up with. It is something that you are aware of. And so there is that kind of affliction that we experience that non-believers don't. So it's not, again, it's not this big deal where, you know, we have to kind of pretend like, oh, yeah, every time I go to a family reunion, you won't believe how much I suffer. Because I'm not really into you and I having a contest to see how much we suffer. I just instantly think globally about what other Christians go through. I don't suffer. It's just minuscule compared to them. So, you know, there's no argument there. So we just don't want to get caught up in that. But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, he says this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now let me just stop for a moment because I want to say something about that very first phrase. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now, either that's true or Paul's a liar. I don't think Paul's lying. How do we get to this point? He doesn't say, now I accept my sufferings for your sake. That's not what he says. He says he rejoices. That's a very, really unique attitude to possess as an individual. He is happy in the sense there's this deep sense of joy and contentment. It's, it's, a, it's a really it's an unusual thing, but it helps, again, to reveal this mindset that Paul has when it comes to living life. So again, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So Paul rejoiced that he, was to, that he was able to suffer for these believers. And he says there, and it's, it can be a strange verse to you know what he's talking about. He says he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And the first thing that many people think is, whoa, what do you mean lacking? I, we, we believe and talk about that, that Christ suffered all the wrath of God. He suffered completely for me. It was a, it's a once, and, once and done thing. What is, what is he talking about here? Well, he's not talking about the suffering of Christ on the cross and that somehow it was insufficient. It's not what he's doing. We know that Christ's suffering alone procures salvation. But it is a privilege. It's a believer's privilege to suffer for Christ. Even that is a unique attitude among people. And again, that doesn't mean that you and I go out trying to find ways to suffer. 
He's just saying that, that it's a privilege. Uh, the idea, I think, really behind that is that the identification that we have with Christ is so close, so intimate, that again, the world views us the way they view Christ. That, that's a privilege, because Christ is he's perfect. That's, that's the Son of God. He, he is good and gracious in every way. And people hate me like they hate him. Man, that's incredible. That's incredible. What's interesting here is when he talks about these afflictions, he says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Again, another way we know this is not speaking of the death of Christ is because the word affliction, which is thalipsis, is never used in the New Testament concerning the death of Jesus. It's never used for that. It's a word which means distress, pressure, or trouble. So Paul says that in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in the distress for the sake of the body or in the pressures that experienced for the sake of the body. So he refers to the trials in life, not the pains of death. So Christ, as we know, does continue to suffer, not for our sin, when he died, which he died for on a cross, but he suffers when we suffer. Right? His identification with us and his love for us is so great that there's, this, this, there's a suffering that takes place when you and I suffer. Remember that, that Christ loves us. Christ is not where he loves us, but he's detached from us emotionally. Now, his emotions aren't tainted or weakened by sin like ours are. But again, there's this, uh, you know, we oftentimes talk about this, so we don't really maybe dwell on it enough, that there is this identification, this union we have with Christ. So in the same way, all right, so let's say that, that your child or your grandchild has to go to the hospital for something. And let's say that it's very serious. Do you experience pain? Absolutely you do. You hurt for your child. You may become emotional. You may, you may have tears in your eyes as they're suffering because you love them. You so identify with them because they're a part of your family. That, that one unit that is there, that it's, it's overwhelming and that connection is there. This is not like, you know, there's that joke about um, a, an older married couple, they go to a pastor for counseling and she just kind of says, he, you know, he just, he never even says that he loves me. And so the, the pastor says, you've been married 30 years, he, he's never told you that? She says, no. And, and so he looks to the man, he says, is this true? The guy says, look, Day we got married, I said I loved her, and I let her know if it ever changed. Well, okay, maybe he still loves her, but she needs to hear that. All right, there, there's just, that's just going to be kind of a normal thing to be encouraged with that. And so here the idea is, is that Christ then does suffer for us. He loves us. There's, he's connected to us, and we're connected to him. But what we need to remember, and we know this to be true, Christ's death did not bring an end to suffering for his brethren. That's why we are so animately against those who preach what we call the health and wealth prosperity gospel. They teach that in this life, suffering should be done with or over. That, that's not in the Bible. In fact, the Bible is clearly over and over again, as we're reading ourselves, that there's going to be suffering, maybe much suffering in our lives, that some have been even appointed by God to suffer for him. There is a day coming when all that will end. We read about that in the Bible as well. 
when the Lord returns. There will be, there will be an end to sin, an end to suffering, an end to death, but not till then. So these individuals are, are teaching clearly against what the Bible says. And, and it's, a, it's a heresy that uh, is ruining the lives of really thousands of people. So it's important then that we make sure, even maybe more so, that we have a right understanding of what Paul is speaking about, what God says in his word. So when we as believers allow Christ to live out his life through us, remember that God promises that we will also experience suffering. So, and again, we will experience suffering in varying degrees. So, again, that doesn't always mean that you will experience the most intense, but then if you do experience intense, that's never an indication that God has forsaken you. Because sometimes that's an emotional response of people. We go through something difficult, and there are some individuals who call themselves believers. Maybe it's because they're immature. Maybe it's because they don't really know the Lord. I don't know. But sometimes people will say this. Why is this happening to me? Now, there's two ways to ask that question. One, maybe we just really want to know why. It's not an accusation against God. But maybe for some, maybe for many, it is an, it's an accusation. It's really, why is God doing this to me? Why is God letting this happen to me? There's, there's maybe an assumption there that I should not be going through this. I'm, I'm above this, or whatever, whatever, whatever the thought process is. And so we are not to do that. But again, you, know, you, know, you can't just hear that and say, okay, that's not my attitude. And no, that's one that grows as a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ. But it is one that we are to have. It's a truth that God gives us that we must clearly grasp. So even if we go through uh, all this stuff with COVID and all the mess that's out there about it, and all the varying kind of discussions about whether it's the virus itself or, or the discussions, and, and there may be Aspects of it that as a Christian we may suffer more, it, it gets more and more complicated. But we, we cannot have this attitude like the world. It, it must be different. And so then if believers get COVID and they die, we should never be the ones who are shaking our heads wondering, what is God doing? No, no. No, we know that God is sovereign. We know that God doesn't make mistakes. I don't know why this individual was taken and why others were not. But I know this, that that person was a believer. I know where they are. Yes, I know that perhaps they were taken too early. That is the, that's the pain of sin. That's, that's the fault of sin. That's why that's here. That's why we desperately cling to the gospel and continue to preach to the gospel. That's the only answer. That's the only remedy. I know that one day I will live in a world where that will be dealt with, and so will they. So there's still going to be that great grief of loss. Absolutely. And we may grieve for a long time, absolutely. But again, it is a grief without despair. So Paul was basically saying that he was taking his turn in sharing these afflictions, that others would follow in his train. Paul did not complain, as we saw already. He said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Another commentator says this, Many long to know the power of his resurrection, but they want nothing to do with the fellowship of his sufferings or being conformed to his death. But there are certain fragrances God can only release through a broken vial. So Paul rejoiced in knowing both the suffering and the glory. He knew the two were connected. So that's a phrase that you'll see oftentimes, usually in older books written about the Christian life. The fellowship of his sufferings. 
Remember that when we speak of fellowship, that's, that's where there's a, a closeness between people that are going in the same direction. So the idea of the fellowship of his sufferings is, as suffering as a believer, I'm with Christ and we're going in the same direction. And so there's a uniqueness to that, and that's something that God, I do believe, in one sense, does want us to experience. As we've mentioned many times before, when people, usually in a family, go through a time of great catastrophe, they're normally always much closer together. Now, sometimes the opposite happens. They're, they're split apart. We know that, that that kind of pressure can rip families to shreds. I know there was that uh, young lady that, uh, several years ago, remember she was, went down to Aruba. They never, you know, she was taken. They don't know what happened to her. They, many believe that she might be dead. You know, there's all kinds of rumors. And the mom and the dad became well-known just because they were all these specials made and there were all these pleas. And they're, you know, trying to get the government down there to help them find their daughter and all those types of things. Well, they ended up divorcing. That's what a horrible thing that, that they divorced. But, but the pressure of that, that's what happens in cases like that. It's not an unusual thing. We see that happening or we hear of it happening. But then at other times, there are those who are much closer together. We'll talk about how they're brought together in that suffering. Because of the suffering, they're brought closer together. And then here, what this quote mentions is that there are certain fragrances. Maybe we can look at it this way. The, the reality of the goodness and the grace and the comfort of God are seen by others as we experience that, as we go through times of great difficulty. People need to see that. They, they, maybe even some need to experience it with us because of the reality of that. Because again, remember for those who don't know the Lord how empty life is. Where is their comfort when a loved one dies? Where does it come from? I, I don't, there is no, no real comfort, none that I know of. Again, verse 10 says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, later on, Paul will write of himself, he says, as dying, yet behold, we live. Again, the word dying there is not thanatos, which is Paul's usual word for death, but it's a word, a Greek word, which is necrosis. Um, thanatos is a word which speaks of death as a fact or an event, but necrosis speaks of the process of dying. So Paul basically was experiencing death in progress. The English word necrosis means a localized death of the cells, most often secondary to interruption of blood supply. Uh, and so that can happen like, you know, maybe an animal, part of that animal's body is dying and decaying, but the animal is still living. It's kind of a gross thing to, to think about, but the medical term they use is withering or maybe even mortification. So the idea here is that spiritually, as Christians, we are commanded to mortify the body or to mortify the lust of the flesh, you know, to, to cut off the blood circulation to those things as we live for Christ. There's, a, there's several different really good books written on the life of George Mueller. One of them was written by, I think it's his son-in-law, uh, by A.T. Pearson. And there's a story where A.T. was visiting George Mueller, and so he asked him, he said, Mr. Mueller, sir, would you be willing to tell me the secret of your great work? If, you, if you're not familiar with George Mueller, very quickly, uh, he was a man who uh, built a couple of orphanages. Um, he was the one who raised the money. That's a bad way to talk about it, but he was the one that raised the money uh, to care for these. He also supported many missionaries by himself. Um, he had no visible means of income. He just prayed. He was, a man, he was known as a man of faith. And God supplied his need. It was incredible, the amount of money that passed through his hands. Uh, he began this poor and died poor. He kept nothing for himself. I mean, he ate and bought clothes, but, 
but everything was funneled into, into ministry, and there's all these stories about him. So if you ever come across uh, a story of his life, it's always interesting to read. I, my personal opinion is the one written by A.T. Pearson is, is the best. doesn't mean the others are junk, but it's just I think it's the best. So anyway, he wants to know what is the secret of his great work and the wonderful things that God had done through him. So it says here that George Mueller looked up for a moment, then he bowed his head, and then he bowed his head lower and lower until his head was almost between his knees. He remained silent for a moment or two, and then he said this. Many years ago, there came a day in my life when George Mueller died. As a young man, I had a great many ambitions. But there came a day when I died to all these things. And I said, henceforth, Lord Jesus, not my will but thine. And from that day, God began to work in me and through me. So this is what Paul is talking about, this, the ability to be able to, to go through all these kinds of sufferings, this pressure, uh, these afflictions that the Bible is talking about, having the proper attitude. It comes from understanding this dynamic of this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Our identity with him is so strong, we, in essence, give up, get, turn over to him all of our ambitions. Now, God in his graciousness sometimes would give some of those back in the sense of allowing you to pursue them. But, but there's a desire, there's an understanding that comes with that desire that we know that he knows what is best. That, that for me to find my greatest fulfillment, greatest happiness, whatever it's going to be, is going to be pursuing those things that he wants me to pursue. And if I pursue those things outside of his will, I'm not going to find happiness, contentment, satisfaction, all the rest. There'll be a lot of trouble. George Mueller's life was a life that was incredibly exciting. In fact, he began to preach around the world but didn't start till he turned 80, which I think is just awesome. Uh, I don't have a bucket list, but if I do, man, that would be like number one. When I turn 80, I want to travel the world and teach the Bible. Just to have the, the mind to be able to do that would be incredible. Uh, I might be some slobbering idiot by then, but hopefully I won't be. But we do have to ask ourselves this. Are you in a situation where you are often misunderstood for your faith in Christ? Because it's a good thing to be in. Are you surrounded by people that have a critical spirit of you? Do you get little or no credit for the work you do in your church or your family? The proper response is to have a willingness, is a willingness to have a humble and submissive spirit to die as Jesus did throughout his life. Jesus died once on the cross, but in another sense, Jesus also died every day. The cross was the culmination of, the, of an entire life of dying. So here's what I think is key. Jesus was willing to be misunderstood and blind to give up home and comforts to take the role of a servant for the benefit of others. Paul was willing to be misunderstood and maligned to give up home and comforts, to take the role of a servant for the sake of others. You and I should be willing to be misunderstood and maligned, to give up home and comforts, to take the role of a servant. God may not call you to give up your home. He might. But I do believe that often we need to be willing to be misunderstood by others. We need to be willing to be maligned by others. 
You just can't run around trying to make sure everybody has a nice thought about who you are. That is the death of Christ that we suffer every day. We must be willing to die in that way as well. When that happens, oddly enough, I believe you will find great and deep joy, happiness, satisfaction, and contentment. Life will be good and wonderful because there's no denial of the suffering. It's the understanding as to what God has called us to and enjoying the comfort of Christ as he walks with us through that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for being one who explains to us the reality of life. That again, we live in a world that is under the curse of sin. That all of us experience in our lives, intellectually and emotionally and physically and spiritually, the curse of sin, the consequences of sin. We live in a world that is dying, that is decaying because of sin. And we experience all of that. That suffering in this world is something that no man can ever escape. It is a part of every man's life, regardless. And the hope that we have in Christ is that we are both delivered and will be delivered from it completely. That there's a day coming when there will be no suffering at all for us ever again. That while there is suffering, we will experience it to varying degrees, but you will always be there with us, walking us through it, and in fact, Lord, we can know that there will never be any suffering that will come our way that has not yet first passed through your hands and you've given the nod of approval. We pray, Lord, that these sobering things would give us strength and encouragement. And that, Father, we would have a willingness to face the world. To realize, Lord, this is not a negative look on, on life. It's not, Lord, that we are just waiting for the other shoe to drop because we are not. Because, Father, we understand that as we trust in you, that this will have an effect on us, again, spiritually, intellectually, and emotionally, so that we will not be perplexed. We will not be distressed. Anxiety will not be the main description of our life and the world in which we live in. And for that, we thank you. For each one, Lord, who at least has experienced moments of this great deliverance, we thank you. We do desire, Father, to experience this every day in our lives. For those believers, Father, who have not yet come to this point, we ask that with great patience you will continue to work in their lives, helping them to mature and to grow and to be able to embrace this attitude and the wonderful blessings that come with it. And then, Father, for those who may still live in fear, perhaps because they don't know Christ, that, Father, you would help them to realize that suffering is the reality for all men. The Bible has always been a truthful book that, Lord, you have actually done something about that for us. And you did that by entering into suffering itself on our behalf. You are a great, marvelous, wonderful, good God, and we are so grateful. Again, we pray that you remind us that we do carry this incredible message in these common clay jars. We pray, Lord, that we'd be willing to live even a broken life for you that the fragrance of Christ may be experienced by others. We thank you. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.